right, we're back in Ephesians, still in chapter 4 here. Ephesians chapter 4, last week we talked about unity. Today, we are still talking about unity. All right, the reason why is because Paul spends a lot of time on it. I wonder why he does that. Why, why do you think? Well, because it's important. Unity is so vital to a church. If we are not unified, we cannot fulfill our purpose. If we are not unified, we cannot love one another the way that we are supposed to. And if we're not unified, we can't have that big impact in the world that we want to. All right, we need to love one another. We talked about last week how we need to get along. All right, how we need to be humble and patient with one another. And have a gentle spirit. That is what we are called to do. That is how we have unity. All right, But there is something else that helps us in our unity. Something else that the Lord has given each one of us so that we can be unified. So that we can love one another. And we'll be talking about what that is here in just a few moments. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we'll start at verse 7 and read through chapter or verse 16. You guys got scared. Chapter. What? All right, Ephesians 4, starting at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray once more. God, we come before you. Uh, Lord, we do it so often, but here we, we want to have you in our minds. We want to have you working in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, uh, it is it is not just... Uh, uh, a chapter of some random book. It is your very word. It is your truth. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we look at this passage this morning. That this would not be just the, uh, the words of, of Pastor Dean up at the pulpit, but that it, it would be your words this morning. That we would focus on your truth that we can learn and that we can apply to our life and in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be even more unified this morning through your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, we've been talking about unity. 
and talking about different things that bring us together. Last week was mostly about uh, our spirit, uh, that humility, that gentleness, that patience. And today we're talking about something very specific that helps us with our unity. Spiritual gifts. Therefore, unity. A lot of us think of spiritual gifts and we think of it as it's ours, right? Uh, we'll talk about exactly what they mean here in a moment. All right, but a lot of us have a general idea of what spiritual gifts are. Uh, different talents, different things that the Lord has given believers that we have within us that we can use. And usually when we talk about gifts, like I said, it's, it's about us. I got something, right? We, we celebrated Christmas. And a lot of us got gifts, and it was for us, right? Those gifts weren't for you to use for others, was it? Right? Most of them were, were for yourself, to take in, to absorb for you, for your enjoyment. Spiritual gifts that are given from God are not about you. Yes, you might be the, the vessel of that gift. You might be the, the recipient of it. But really... It's about your brothers and sisters. It is not for you. It is for others. It is for unity. Uh, a lot of us don't think about spiritual gifts in that way, but that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that spiritual gifts are for your brothers and sisters. What you have been given from the Lord is for your church. And he starts this thought, by talking about it in verse uh, 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us. Alright, so he's just been talking about unity and the doctrine that unifies us. And now he's going to get into the specifics here with our spiritual gifts and how that relates to unity. And he says, But grace was given to each one of us. Alright, the first thing that we need to know about spiritual gifts is that they're out of grace. That, that's in your, the back of your bulletins as well. Spiritual gifts are out of grace. So what, what does that mean, out of, out of grace? Uh, the point there is that you didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. It wasn't that God looked at you and said, man, you know, he's so great. I'm going to give him this spiritual gift. Right? Uh, and it also means that spiritual gifts, there are no one that is, that is better with your spiritual gift. All right? there, no spiritual gifts brings you higher than your brothers and sisters. You are still on the same playing field. Because both of you were given this gift out of grace. All right? No one deserved it. And it's according to the measure of Christ's gift. So how, how did you get it? Well, what, what was the reasoning behind it? Well, it was according to the measure of Christ's gift. The grace we've been shown is made evident in the gifts we have in Christ. I like how the NIV reads it. But to each one of, uh, but to each one, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You wonder why you have the spiritual gift that you do? It's because Christ meant for you to have it. It was on purpose. He didn't mess up and say, oh, you know, I, I, I meant to give you that gift, but I gave you this one instead. No. Christ apportioned it. He gave it to you in measure as well. 
There are different measures of gifts. You know, some of us have uh, the gift of, of compassion. Uh, that we can just love someone just so deeply, not even knowing, and just give them generosity and, and, and love and affection. All right? And some of us can do that even more than someone else. All right? That isn't anything of yourself. It's of grace. It's something that God gave you that you did not deserve. That's what grace means. All right. Um, I, I do like what uh, I forget his first name, but Hainer. He's a, a commentarian. He says this about um, the the unity that we have with Christ's gifts that He has given us. In the oneness of the body, there is also diversity. Do you hear that there? In the oneness of the body, the unity that we have together, we have diversity. What he's talking about are the gifts. We have different gifts. We have different personalities that God has given us um, to, to use for his building of the kingdom. All right. And then he gets into something very odd here. All right. It's a unique and uh, I'll, I'll just say it. It's a different passage. All right, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then he's going to go in on what that means. And he's going to take two verses. All right, but let, let's deal with this. Uh, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. What is he talking about? When he ascended on high. Um, it's loosely quoted from Psalm 68, verse 18. There's some big differences between the two. And, and we'll talk about what that means here in a moment. But let's focus in. He ascended on high. What did he do? All right, he gave gifts to men. All right, Christ gave gifts to men. Uh, the word could be translated as people. All right, now not just men, but men and women. Uh, anthropoi, is, it's just a plural of people. All right, uh, so women are not left out in this. Christ gave us all gifts. What are these gifts? Well, they are spiritual gifts that each one of us have. In your notes, I have spiritual gifts are God-given talents and ambitions specified in Scripture given to a believer. All right, this is, this is important. All right, for us to understand, because some people can take spiritual gifts and run with it and say that it's anything. And uh, just like what we're talking about with spiritual disciplines in Sunday school, then we need to know that they come from Scripture, or that they're outlined in Scripture, that they're modeled in Scripture. It says, uh, I, I put here, spiritual gifts are God-given talents and ambitions specified in Scripture given to a believer. See, at the moment of salvation... When the Holy Spirit indwells you, He gifts you with certain attributes or talents. And what what are they for? Well, first, what do they look like? Like I said, it could be compassion, could be generosity. Right? We we have in, in the Bible mentioned among many others is hospitality. Some of us are just so good at welcoming, uh, welcoming people into our home. Uh, that, uh, you know, you just go above and beyond. I, I can tell you right now that I know that Slavic and Irina have this gift, all right, of hospitality. We all have some gift like that, all right? Talents, ambitions, desires that we have that are, this is, uh, this is given from the Lord. It's not from us. All right, now, let me stop there 
and make sure that we all recognize that that doesn't get you out of it. All right, we are all called to be hospitable and loving. All right, so if you were kind of thinking maybe, well, it's not my gift, so I don't have to do it, right, Pastor? I'll leave that to those who have the gift. No, you don't get out of it. All right, but there are some of us who just have that gift, all right, that, that just have that natural talent for it, and that's given from God. All right, uh, and what is it for? Or what are these gifts given to us for? Well, they're given, they're given for the edification. I use that word a lot. I, I hope we all know what that means. It means building up, the building up of the church. Of your brothers and sisters. Alright, I'm going to turn here real quickly to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. Uh, starting in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All right, these, this is an example for us on how to use our gifts. We each have one. Do you know what they are? Maybe. I hope that you are seeking it out. What are those gifts? Maybe you have more than one. You cannot know how to use that gift unless you know what it is. This is why another reason why we have each other. It's hard to see uh, what, what your uh, weaknesses and strengths are just as a person, right? Like that, that's why even at work. Even at work, you don't do your own job review, do you? Right? Because otherwise we'd be writing all the good stuff. No, you have someone else who's worked with you. They review you and say, all right, you know, here's something that you need to work on. Here are some great things that you're doing. Uh, and hopefully one of the lists is bigger than the other. All right? We have someone else to do that. We have each other. If you do not know what your spiritual gift is, Ask someone in the church. What do you see in me, brother, sister? What, what is it that, um, what, what do I have? What should I be doing? If you're wondering how to be involved in your church, you need to use that spiritual gift in your ministry. So you need to find out from your brothers and sisters, what, what is it? Talk with them, get to know them. And that's one of the, uh, another great reason why we need to know one another. So we can know what our gifts are. Right? If, if I don't know you, I'm not going to know what talents you have that the Lord has given you. I'm not going to know those gifts. Right? We need to know one another. We need to be with one another so we can find out what those gifts are so that we can build each other up. Right? So that we can edify. Like I said, we all have at least one gift. Some more than one. But all are to be used in the church. All right, and then he gets into it. All right, uh, this this odd passage here, verse nine. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. There's been so much debate. So much debate, different points of view about these verses. Uh, I spent a good chunk of a day uh, going through and looking at all these different uh, theologians and what they viewed about this. And some of them were way out there. All right. Uh, I'll just say it from the pulpit. This does not mean that Jesus went to hell. All right. It does not mean that. Jesus does not belong in hell. All right, he is perfection. All right, he would not be found there. It does not mean that. All right, so what does it mean? What does it mean? I'll just say this. All right, what I believe Paul is meaning here is that he's talking about Christ's superiority, uh, which gives him that ability to give out the gifts. Right? We talked about that a couple uh, a couple months ago. Um, like if I were to go into Toys R Us without any money and I had uh, I took something gave it to my son that's not a gift right that's stealing it doesn't belong to me I have to have the money to first pay for that so that I take ownership of it and then I give it then it is a gift right Christ here is showing his superiority and that he is the one who can give out the gifts he has ascended right he is the one who belongs in heaven but then he also, you know, before he could ascend, he must first descend. Uh, so he descended from heaven into the lower regions of the earth. All right, I believe that this verse is talking about his death. That he was in the ground. All right, in that, in that stone tomb that they laid him in, deep in the earth. Right, that, that's really what tombs were back then. It wasn't uh, getting out the shovel and going six feet down and putting the body there and putting the dirt on top. All right, what they would do is they would find a cave. And in Israel, there were many caves. All right, and they, they would kind of carve it out a little bit more and they would make a table in there and they would put the body in there and seal it up. All right, I think that's what Paul is getting at. All right. He ascended, so he has the superiority to give out the gifts. He is the one who can be the giver. And in doing that, first, he had to descend. He had to die so that he could be worthy of that. So that he can obey his father. We see that in Philippians chapter 2. Alright? And so he has the authority. He is above all things. He is exalted above all things because of his death. His, his, in his victory over it. All right, putting him in the place where he can give those gifts to men. All right, hard part out of the way. Now, Paul is going to be specific with a few gifts and explain their importances to the church. All right, uh, this is not saying these are all the gifts. We have many other different passages that talk about different gifts. Uh, like we read in Romans 12, there, there are three other passages that give us an actual list of the gifts. All right, this is not exhaustive, this passage. All right, but it's giving a few in example. All right, so if you are thinking, oh, well, these don't apply to me, uh, so that gets me off the hook for the, the application. No, he's using these as an example for how all of our gifts are to be used. All right, so he's going to give a little bit in specifics here. He says in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. All right. 
Um, these are two gifts, the uh, apostles and prophets, that I believe are no longer applicable to us. All right, we don't have apostles. I am not an apostle. You are not an apostle. I don't believe that we have prophets today either. But at the time of this writing, they did. All right, this was absolutely necessary for the early church. Why do you think this is? Well, remember how Christianity started. All right, you have Jesus, and you have his disciples who were later called apostles. Well, apostle, by the way, just means sent out one. All right, and so we start with that core group. And then from there, they teach others about what Jesus taught them. All right, and those people then in turn teach others. All right, but it wasn't until about 100 AD, so roughly 60 to 70 years after Christ died on the cross, that we start to have uh, in... in uh, a large amount letters. All right, sure. Some of them were written very closely after the the events of Jesus' life. Uh, the Gospels were written very closely to that. But things like Paul's writing, all right, they weren't written until later. All right, and then from there, not everyone had them. All right, it was expensive to write. All right, you had to have the the right paper, the papyrus. Right, you had to have the right ink so that it would last. All right, and so it was expensive, and all these Christians are poor. A lot of them were uh, without jobs, right? That's why we see in Acts chapter 2 that they had all things in common. All right, they had to band together just to survive. All right, so it wasn't until around 100 AD that we have copies of Paul's letters, of the Gospels being uh, in the churches for people to read. All right? So what do they have to govern themselves? They had apostles. They had the twelve, including Matthias, and then later Paul, all right, who had been personally taught by Jesus Christ, who could accurately tell them what Jesus wanted them to know. All right? The reason why we don't have apostles and prophets today is that we no longer need them. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Let's go there real quick. This is important for us to know. Because there are a lot of teachers out there, a lot of pastors who would say different. But we need to know what Scripture says. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We know this is the love chapter. All right, it says in verse 8, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But, verse 10, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. This is why we can say that we don't believe that apostles and prophets apply to today. Because it says right there, these things will cease when the perfect has come. What is the perfect? This book. We don't have to look to a man all right, or uh, a certain prophecy for, for the truth. We can search God's word for ourselves and know it. Alright, so... 
we don't need them now, but they did back then because they didn't have God's word. All right, and so they were used in the church. All right, but then we have some that are used today. All right, some specific examples. Evangelists. All right, these are those who spread the gospel. Now, like I said earlier, you know, just because you don't have the gift of something doesn't mean that you're out, uh, that you don't have to do it. All right, we are all called to spread the gospel. Amen. All right, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. We have the Great Commission. All right, and what, it, what does that mean? I've said it many times. Job, right? Commission means job. It's your one job that Jesus gave you is to go out and spread the gospel. And yes, going is definitely a huge aspect of that. All right, but uh, we are all called to do it, but some have a natural God-given talent for it. Uh, this is similar to what we have today, uh, evangelists, um, but perhaps a little more personal or one-on-one than some of our evangelists do today. Uh, I remember uh, my first week when I had moved to Minnesota to take a pastorate there, um, one of my college buddies was in town, and he had some tickets to uh, the Twins game. So I drove up to Minneapolis a couple hours, and uh, you know we see the game there at Target Field, beautiful ballpark. And we walk out, and there was a guy who was standing there uh, with a huge poster, Right, and he was saying that you're all on your way to hell. Some of that, maybe for some people there, that was true. But is that real evangelism? Difficult to say, right? I don't think it was. I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here for evangelists. All right, uh, it, it is not just going out to a street corner and yelling at people. Sometimes that will work, especially depending on the context where you're at. I can guarantee you that in Canada, you will not have good success if you do that. All right. But here, he's talking about a little bit more of the one-on-one, like Philip. Philip went down to the Samaritans, and he preached, and many got saved. But he says that he was talking to them. He's talking with them, having conversations. Conversations go both ways. All right, now some people have used their gift to great effect, right? We talk about evangelists, and who do we think of? Billy Graham, right? Going out and preaching and thousands of people getting saved. It's amazing. Looking at his life, it's a, I have many of his books, different, different uh, um, uh, biographies of him looking at his life. He was a wonderful man. Like Billy Graham, I think he had the gift of evangelism. He could take the beauty of the gospel and explain it in practical terms. And the Lord blessed his work. Right? That, that's evangelism. You just you know how to explain the gospel in such a practical way to someone. Maybe that's in a large mass, or maybe it's just one-on-one. You could just explain how that works in their life. That's the gift of evangelism. And then we have another gift. And I do mean one other gift, shepherds and teachers. Some of your Bibles might have shepherd teacher as one phrase, and that would be correct. There's only one article here in the Greek, and so it would read the shepherd teacher. They're the same person. 
They're the same gift. Shepherds or pastors must be able to teach. Right? That's even one of the um, one of the requirements that Paul gives Timothy: apt to teach. A pastor is not just a people person. He must be a teacher of the Bible. At the same time, he is also the shepherd. So there's this beautiful uh, duality here of the shepherd being the one who, who leads and loves and cares for the flock. And then also the teacher, the one who should know his stuff, that you can be taught, that you can be fed the word of God from. All right, that's what a pastor is supposed to be. Now, some uh, do not do that. I've known many pastors who were either too far on one side or the other. Uh, maybe they were too focused on being the caring, loving person that they forgot about the teaching. Right? They they didn't study. Uh, they just had uh, uh, you know motivational speeches, really. All right, or they were too focused on the other. All right, that they were so focused on teaching God's word that they didn't love people. Right? No, that's not what a pastor is called to be. A pastor must be a shepherd teacher. I'm preaching to myself a little bit today. So what's the point? What's the point of these specific gifts? Speaking of evangelists and pastors, along with the prophets and apostles, although we can definitely apply a lot of this to all of our spiritual gifts, what's their purpose? What's the purpose of these gifts? Well, he's going to say it. He says um, in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. To equip. It's an interesting word here. It means to keep, to be completely ready. Uh, my wife, when we go on trips, usually I'm working and doing some different things and trying to cram before us going somewhere. Like when we went to uh, uh, my in-laws after Christmas. All right, uh, You know, Christmas is a busy time for a pastor. So I was focused on different things that were going on here. And my wife was the one who was really packing. That's kind of our role with that. Uh, my wife just knows what to put in the bag. I don't. You know, uh, but she thinks of everything. You know, with the, with the kids, there's so many different things of like in, whether it's summertime or wintertime. There's different things that your kids need for both different seasons, and I have no idea. But my wife knows, and she puts it all in the bag so that when we get to my in-laws' place, and I say, "Oh, did we bring this?" Yes, we did. You know, did did we bring that? Yes, I, I know it's in there. It's in the bag somewhere. You know, she has everything just perfectly ready for us to go, fully equipped. All right, that that's the idea for us. That our spiritual gifts, including the shepherd teaching, including the evangelists, including your spiritual gift, whatever that might be, is to help us so that we're fully equipped. So we know what we need and we have it when we need it for ministry and to work in ministry. I love how he puts it. He doesn't just say, you know, this is so you'll be equipped in ministry to work in ministry because ministry is work. It's hard. It's hard sometimes. Loving your brother and sister properly in the church is hard sometimes. And you got to work at it. You know, we have to 
We have to put ourselves aside sometimes. And maybe suffer a little bit for the good of all of us, for the building up of each other. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. My job and your job is to help you help all of us. Our gifts are to be used to build one another up. Your Bible might say edify. But that, that's what it means. Um, it means to help grow and expand on a personal basis. That's why we have each other. That's why we're here. To help each other. To build each other up. And it says, uh, until we attain to the unity. And there's an end goal here. All right, how long are we supposed to be building each other up? Until we attain to unity, the goal of spiritual gifts, on the back of your bulletin, the goal of spiritual gifts is unity. Until we attain to the unity of the faith, attain means completed or arrived. Uh, there's, there's a former baseball player, but you probably know him better as a, as a coach for the Yankees, Joe Torre. He said, the second you think you've arrived, someone passes you. Right, the th- as soon as you think you're the best, that's when someone shows you that there's better. All right, Are we ever going to arrive at unity until we attain to the unity of the faith? Are we ever going to get there? No. No, not here. Not until we're with Jesus. But we strive for it. We're always chasing it. Trying to be more and more and more unified. Trying to love each other more. Trying to serve one another more and more. To use our gifts in doing that. Until we attain to the unity of the faith. He says of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The unity of the the faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ is speaking of us knowing all that we possibly can about the gospel. Can you do that? No. He's giving us an impossible goal for a reason. Because the gospel is infinite. The love that Christ shows in the gospel, you will never fully understand. You will never fully understand how God could love you and give you salvation. But you wrestle with it. You think about it. it Soaks into your soul and you constantly, constantly trying to figure that out. Trying to imagine, trying to understand just how deep that love is. Understand just how beautiful the gospel is. So until we are fully understanding of the unity that we have. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God says, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We build each other up so that we can be mature. Spiritual maturity brings similar attributes as physical maturity. You know, when you're growing up, as you mature, you get bigger, right? You get bigger, you get stronger. You have more stamina. I can outrun my kids. They're fast, but I have longer legs. 
All right. I'm bigger than they are, more mature than they are. I have stamina. We need to be spiritually strong so that we can have spiritual strength, spiritual stamina, and we're able to endure the difficulties of the world in its pull. We have to know what we believe fully, not in a childish way of knowing the basics. If you, if you think you know everything about the gospel, you're wrong. It's not just the basics. We need to fully wrestle with it. Always trying to learn more about it. Be mature in our understanding of the gospel. He says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. The idea here is that the body, you and me, the church strives to be worthy of the head, Jesus Christ. We have to be like him, to the measure of Jesus Christ. Unified like he is. That's that's a big goal. What's the point? So that we may no longer be children. If we're not mature, then we're children. We will remain children. What are children? They're wonderful. But in this context, he's talking about it with the strength, with the endurance. So he's talking about being weak and fragile. He says, tossed to and fro by the waves. I remember uh, when I was probably around oh, 14 or something like that, uh, we, we, my family and I, we'd always go camping. We went to this one place, River Meadows, and there was uh, the big river that runs through Arlington, Washington, would come down through there, uh, and there was, there was this nice spot. If you remember that story about me and my friend jumping off the rock, it's the same place. There was this nice spot where the river stopped, and uh, you know, it was a good swimming area. But just down the way a little bit was the current. And it led to rapids. Uh, My little sister, uh, no one had their eye on her. You know, there were five kids in my family, quite a bit going on. And she she started to go over down that way. And this little girl, I think she was probably about seven or eight, you know, she got caught in the current. You know, we were able to get her out before the rapids. But because of the current, she couldn't move. She wasn't strong enough to get out of it. We had to go in and get her out of it. She was a child. The idea here is that the waves, the sea and the waves tossing to and fro. This is really, in a moment, he's going to say doctrine. It's about doctrine, false doctrine out there. If you do not know the gospel, you're not fully wrestling with it. You are going to be carried about by these waves. You're going to get lost in the current. You're not going to be able to get out of it because you're a child. You're weak. He says, carried about by every wind of doctrine. If we are not mature, then we will just be knocked around by the waves or even blown over by the strong winds of false doctrine. We could be led astray. Let us stray from good teaching and embrace something that just isn't true. Like a child, believing that they're, they're whatever their friend just told them, being gullible in that way. We must be careful because false teaching is out there. It's in the bookstores, it's on the radio, it's all over the internet. And Paul doesn't just sugarcoat this. He doesn't just sugarcoat it and say, well, 
These false false doctrines are from men who just made a mistake. You know, know, just made a small boo-boo and we can get over it. No. He says human cunning. Human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Do not be naive about false doctrine. Some of it, yes, and someone just making a mistake. But there are a good portion of false teachers out there who are wanting to trip you up, who are wanting to deceive you into believing something that is other than the gospel. He says deceitful schemes, it's a system made by liars to deceive you. The only way to stop someone from being fooled by something like this is to call them out and name the false doctrine. In order for us to do that, we have to know it. So, this unity, our spiritual gifts, are to help us stay in good doctrine. It's one of the purposes. Alright, but there are more. He says, rather... Speaking in love, or speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Uh, the word here for speaking truth literally means truthing. It's a verbal form, meaning to hold to the truth in everything that you do. Your words, your actions are supposed to be truthing. But, He puts in that caveat that we all need to pay special attention to. He says, in love. So even the false doctrine that is out there, that we do need to name, that we need to fight against, for the love that we should have for one another, the, the gentleness, the patience, all of it, should be in love. Both to those outside and to those within. And like I said, we need to call out those false teachers. It would be the most unloving thing to ignore bad doctrine. But we need to be kind in how we do it. It's a lot like when someone says uh, you have something in your teeth. There's a nice way to say that and a wrong way to say that, right? There's a way to make them feel bad and just be, oh, wow, you have, you have something really big in your teeth. You know, that, that that would make you feel bad about yourself, right? Maybe self-conscious a little bit. That wouldn't be loving, right? But there's another way of whispering into your brother or sister, or your spouse, whatever, and going, you have something in your teeth, right? There, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. We are to choose the right way. We are to be loving. He says, we are to grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ we are Christ's body. We grow into Him. It's all about Him. He's our head. From Him we get capacity for life and growth. The focus of everything that we do as a church, the unity that we have, the love that we show one another, the focus of all of that is Christ. Because He is our head and we are the body. He says, from, the, uh, from whom the whole body is joined together. So you, me, all of us together are joined together by Christ. He says, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped. We all must be strong 
or mature in our faith and unified on good doctrine so that we all are strong parts of the body. What happens to you when your knee isn't working properly? Are you able to function 100%? No. Sometimes if your knee hurts, you can barely walk. Right? That joint, if it's weak, you will not be able to run. That joint, if it's weak, you won't be able to walk. If you, if I, am weak in the gospel, our church cannot function 100%. We will not have that perfect unity. We must strive for it. Always learning. Always letting that gospel impact us so that we are living it out. So that we are loving one another. So that we can do what we talked about last week. Be humble and patient and gentle with one another. It's all because of the gospel. Spiritual gifts. This is the last on your list. Spiritual gifts are to help the body grow in love. Like I said earlier, your gift is really about others, not yourself. Whatever that that gift that you have is, you are to use it for your brothers and sisters in the church so you can build them up in love. So as we love one another and focus on good, sound teaching of Christ, focusing in on God's Word, using our gifts for the building up of each other, our spiritual body is strengthened. And we become more united with our head. So what about us? Are we using our gifts to better each other? What can we do, even this week, to show those gifts to our brothers and sisters and to help them be more united with Christ? Let's pray. God in heaven, we do thank you for each other. Lord, I thank you for the members of Fairmont Baptist Church. I thank you that they are an uh, an encouragement to me. Lord, that they love me. That they want me to grow in Christ. That they want me to know the gospel deeper. Lord, and I pray the same for them. Lord, I pray that you would help us all as one church to be united. United around the gospel. Lord, help us not to be deceived uh, by false teaching that is out there, that is everywhere. Lord, but that we would know the gospel. That we would be mature. That we would not be tossed around like little kids in the ocean. Lord, that we would be strong that we would have stamina in the gospel. Lord, and that that would unite us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be humble and patient and gentle and loving with one another so that we can use our gifts, whatever it is that you have given us, Lord. It is grace. It is beautiful. And I pray that you would help us to share that with one another so that we could build each other up, that we would grow together. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.